Amen. Amen. All right. I know you guys love this part. Don't sit. Just be friendly. I see you. Don't sit. Be friendly. Meet someone new, all right? Don't wait for them to go to you. You go to them. Find someone new. All right. Hey, uh, once you've met someone, go ahead and take a seat. We are in 1 John chapter 5. We're almost done with 1 John. Next week will actually be our last week. But if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'd love for you to have a Bible so you can follow along with us. So 1 John 5, don't be shy. Raise your hand. We'd love to get you a Bible. Uh, if I'm out of breath, just know that I'm not having a heart attack. It's just I'm still trying to work off Thanksgiving week and kind of <laughs> short of breath right now. Um, that was good, good food. I don't know about you guys, but great food, great week. Um, let me just kind of share something briefly with you guys and catch you up to speed. So we're in 1 John. Um, we love going through books of the Bible. We're going to do that as a church to go through books of the Bible. Uh, we also believe in topicals. We'll have times where we'll do topical studies. Uh, but we find it so necessary to teach through books of the Bible because it forces us at times to talk about things we wouldn't always choose to talk about. And so that's why we're going to go through books. And at times when necessary, when we feel the Lord's leading us, we'll, we'll stop and pause and kind of address what God might be speaking to our church. But um, we're in 1 John. We're almost done with this book. If you've been with us from the beginning, congrats. Uh, I think it's our 11th or 12th week in John. And so next week, like I said, we'll finish it. Um, before I kind of get going and, and give you guys the context of what's happening, a brief little update. Uh, so obviously last week was Thanksgiving. The, the school's been closed for a little bit. But for those of you who are new or maybe you, you know or you don't know, we're hoping to move into Quiet Waters Elementary School uh, come December 10th. So in two weeks, we would like to be meeting at 10.30 a.m. at Quiet Waters Elementary School. That is the goal. Uh, we met with the school. We actually, as of last week, like Tuesday, right before Thanksgiving, we got our um, certificate of insurance. So uh, we got our insurance for the school. We sent that into the school, and hopefully by tomorrow, Monday, I should have a word if we're going to be officially in the school by that date. So keep that in prayer. Um, we've been talking to them. We, we actually had a team go out there and, and meet the, uh, the principal's assistant. She walked them around. She called me after and said, you know, just, I was, she's a believer, and she said, I was so excited by meeting your team. I was thinking, finally, there's going to be a Christian group on our campus, and I've been, like, looking forward to this. And she said, I got goosebumps in the parking lot thinking about that. So I'm encouraged to know that, um, that they want us there, which is not always the case at public schools. So we're going to be at Quiet Waters Elementary hopefully in two weeks. Next week, we'll update you for sure on that. So that's exciting stuff. Uh, so a lot's been happening in light of that. I'm not going to give you all those details, but know that the Lord's been moving, been working to make that happen, and uh, we could use your help. Just being at a school, we'll have a lot more setup. We'll have some things to tear down. We'll need some help with kids' ministry. And so, again, know that you can always go next door. We have a little connect table. We have volunteer packets if you want to sign up. Someone will get a hold of you. We'll meet with you, talk with you, hear your story a little bit, and we'd love to see you get involved if you can. Uh, this is the time we really do need at this time. So just want you to be aware of that. First John chapter 5. All right, just in case you haven't been with us or, or you don't know what's going on, um, 
John is an old man, a very, very old man when he's writing this book. And he's the last living disciple, the last person to know Jesus, walk with Jesus, eat, eat with Jesus, touch Jesus, be with Jesus. And he's the last man on earth who's had that privilege. And he's most likely in his 90s now. And this is his last letter that he wrote. I know there's 2nd, 3rd John, but it's believed that 1st John's his last letter. And you really see the father heart of John coming out. And so in this letter, what he's focusing on is saying, hey, you can know. You can know you have eternal life. John answers, I think, two of life's great questions for those who think about life and death, which is, can I be saved, and how can I know I'm saved? And if you really get down to it, 100 million years from now, this is a question that will still matter. How can I know I'm saved? Like, this is a question that will be answered or not. This is still an important question for us. Do I know that when I die, I'll be in the presence of God, or will I be separated from God? And how can I know that? Does the Bible give us assurance of that? There are some people who would say, hey, the Bible teaches that you cannot have assurance. Almost as if God's kind of dangling eternal life in front of us like a carrot. And like maybe if we're good enough, we'll attain it. God wants us to know that we can have eternal life. That is so comforting. That is so encouraging. And so I want you guys to know that we can know. We can know. John says, I write this so you can know you have eternal life. And so we're going to read this in just a second. Um, But I hope that as we read this, again, I, I don't want this. This is like our 11th week now. I don't want to just read and kind of do Bible study. I really hope the Lord just speaks to our hearts tonight. I hope that God can move in this place for us. I hope that if we still line up lack belief or uh, there's still some things going on, I hope our attention can get on Jesus. Uh, here's what John's talking about tonight, just so you kind of know the picture, know the context. John is putting Jesus and eternal life on trial. All right, John is putting Jesus and eternal life on trial. And so what you're going to see is John mentioned this idea of testimony or record or testify. John is putting Jesus and eternal life on on trial. So that's what we're going to look at. Jesus and eternal life on trial. Let's read 1 John chapter 5. We'll be in verse 6. We'll look through verse 13. Do you guys know if we have this in the ESV? Can we throw it there? Okay, cool. I'm going to throw it up here for you guys. I have the New King James. I'm going to read it to the ESV, and I'll explain why. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. John writes, he said this to test, sorry, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. That's the wrong. It's okay. I'm going to read it in the Bible. 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, let's read this. It says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Every time you see the word witness, testify, record, testimony, I want you to circle that, all right? Every time you see the word witness, record, testify, testimony, circle that. It's the same Greek word. Verse 7, and I'll explain why this is wrong. (laughs) For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. Verse 8, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. He who believes in the son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, but he does not believe the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to, be- to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this. We thank you for the encouragement it brings to our hearts. God, for those who still have doubts, for those who still have questions, 
God, for those who just still are just struggling with different things when it comes to belief or faith or you, I ask that you'd put our heart at rest tonight. God, that you bring a peace. God, even for Christians for many years, God, let us believe. Let us continue to believe. Let us continue to rest and put our trust in you. Even if we have at one point, God, help us to still do that today. And we ask that you just move and that you speak to our hearts in your wonderful name. Amen. If you guys don't mind in the back, just turn it off. I think there's some music playing lightly, if that's cool. Um, all right, really quick, we'll get going. First John chapter 5, testimony, testify, record, witness. Uh, it was about three or four years ago, I was driving down Atlantic Boulevard. I was coming from the beach, going west. I live a little bit out west. And I was on Atlantic and Powerline, and I'm sitting in the middle of three lanes. It's in the middle of three lanes. The lane next to me is the other, it's a straight lane. Then there's a fourth lane where you can turn right. And I'm sitting there, it's like 9.30 at night, and I see this red Corvette driving about 35, 40 miles per hour. Not too fast, but 35, 40 miles per hour. And she slammed into the guy that was in the lane right next to me. So I look over, and I just see this flash of red slam into the car. The guy was not moving. He just gets, side, he gets hit from behind. He, he comes out, grabbing his neck. The lady backs up, goes into reverse, and I see in the right lane, she pulls into the right lane. Right when she pulls into the right lane, there's a city bus going into the right lane. She hits the city bus, the city bus goes on the curb. She hits, <laughs> hits the bus, and then she stopped for a second and then kept going turn right. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, did I just see that? Like, slammed into a guy, hit a city bus. So I'm in the middle lane, so I, I saw her turn right, so I just, I just follow her. I don't know. I, I just, so I just literally get in the right lane. I turn right uh, down power line, again, on Atlantic, turn right on a power line. I'm following her. I'm honking my horn nonstop. I'm flashing my brights. I'm trying to do it. I'm, like, tailgating her. I'm, like, trying to do whatever I can do to get, get her to pull over. She pulls over, and she kind of gets, like, out in the middle of the road, kind of, like, to the side of the road, and I get out of the car. And I get out of the car, and I look at her. I'm like, do you know what just happened? She goes, like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You, you didn't hit me. I'm like, do you know what happened? She's like, but all that matters is that you're okay. I'm like, yes, but you didn't hit me. I'm like, you just hit a bus. <laughs> like, you literally hit a bus, and it's on the curb now. She's like, but as long as you look good, as long as you look okay, you're good. I'm like, no, that's not the issue. And so she, like, gets back in her car. I probably should have ran in here, took her keys, and, like, threw them. I don't know. But she gets back in her car, and so, like, I run up, and this is, this is true. All this is true. I run up to her car, and I, I look at her license plate, and I just memorize it really quick. I call 911. <laughs> she speeds off. And I just say the license plate numbers. Like, first thing, she's like, hello, how can we help? Like, no one, how can we help you? I'm like, X, Z, Y, I don't know. I just started saying numbers because I didn't want to forget it. So she's like, what? I'm like, hey, this lady in a red Corvette with that license plate number, she just hit a city bus, <laughs> hit a car in front of her, and she just took off. And I'm like, she was wasted. And I'm like, okay, stay in the line. So she takes off. She's gone. I talk to the police, give them all my information. I go home that night. I get a phone call like an hour later. It's like 1030 at night now. And the police go, hey, we're at her house. We found her license plate. We, we found it attached to her house. Can you just come and identify that this is her? Because she got out of the car and we answered the door. She was drunk, but we don't know. Like, we, don't, we can't prove it. Can you just come and identify? So I said, sure. So I drive you know, a couple miles and meet the police at this like, Dunkin' parking lot. Not here, but at Dunkin' Donuts. And when I, when I get out, when I follow them, he just goes like this. And the, the police just drives. Like, he blows through like 10 stop signs. And I get to do that. It was the coolest like, five minutes of my life. He's flying like 50 miles per hour with his lights going, blowing through stop signs. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Uh, so I pull over, she's on the curb, and they're questioning her, and I'm like, at a distance, like, is that her? Was that the person you saw who hit the city bus? I'm like, yes, that was definitely her. I'm like, okay, thank you so much, because sometimes, she made it home before we arrived. We couldn't necessarily prosecute her, because she could, whatever. She could say someone stole her car and made it up. So that all happens, right? A few months go by, I get a, a phone call from her lawyer saying, can you come in and give a testimony of what you saw that night? So I go, yeah, so it's me, it's her lawyer, it's the prosecutor, it's a court reporter. My sister's a court reporter, so she loves this, but it's the person who does a little stenography, it's the person who does a little typing. So we're in a little room, it's, it's before they go to trial, they wanted to interview me like their main eyewitness. And so the lawyer's asking me a, a bunch of questions, her lawyer's asking me a bunch of questions, he literally has me draw out, he's like, here's a piece of paper, can you draw how many lanes there were? I'm like, sure, so I draw the lanes, I'm like, so, I don't know. So I draw the lanes, I explain the incident, 
he asked me, again, probably 45 minutes of his questions. I'm like, it's pretty simple what happened. I keep telling him over and over again. At the end, he goes, okay, thank you so much. He goes, let me just ask you, what do you do for a living? I'm like, I'm a youth pastor. And he goes, oh, that's great. <laughs> like, he was like, you know, in his mind, he's like, awesome. Um, he's like, okay. He goes, I think we can officially close this. So they, they close. She stops typing. He goes, okay. He goes, I'm going to be honest. My client screwed up. She messed up. And I was really hoping you weren't about, you wouldn't show up today or you wouldn't have given a valid testimony today. He's like, but I, I, I have nothing against you or what you've shared today. So I'm like, okay, cool. Then we started making small talk. He's a nice guy. Uh, but I, I love that he was just trying to ultimately find out, is this guy's testimony reliable, and is he reliable? So is his testimony reliable, and is he, is he reliable? And that was the, the two things that really mattered to him to see if his, if his client was innocent or guilty. And here's what John's doing. John, in this section, if you didn't catch it, John is calling on different witnesses or testimonies or test records or whatever you want to call it. John is calling in all these different people to give a testimony of who Jesus is. And if you remember this, and I'll write this down for fun, in John chapter 5, John does something very similar when he's younger. He actually calls these different witnesses to testify who Jesus is. And I'm saying this because this is important for us. Who is Jesus? And how do we define Jesus? And, and let's just be honest. Whether you're a Christian and walk the Lord for years or kind of on the fence, Jesus is the most controversial person in human history. More, more books have been written about him. More conferences have been held about him. I mean, there's just so much around the person of Jesus. I mean, no one has been really more influential in every culture than Jesus, not just Christian communities. The, per, the, the, the question of who is Jesus really affects everyone to some extent. And so how do we define Jesus? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Why does that have any validity to it whatsoever? What's this public knowledge? Could people have been there and seen this? And John is trying to take some time to just testify and give these different testimonies of Jesus. So really he's putting Jesus, look at verse 11. If you look at verse 11 one more time, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. John's trying to answer the question of who is Jesus and, and, and how does he give us eternal life? And can we really count on eternal life through this person? And so Jesus and eternal life are on trial. And this is just worth us slowing down and looking at this. And I want to point this out because I think it's necessary, but like I said, 10 different times from verse 6 to 13, he uses this word testify, record, witness. It's this Greek word that I'm going to butcher because I love to butcher Greek words. It's marturo. <laughs> marturo. This, this is the word, if you see here, we get the word martyr from this. If you guys know Acts 1.8, uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be a witness. That word witness is this word martyr. Like you believe something so much, you put your faith in something so much that you put your life on the line for it. You'll be a witness. These people are witnesses, martyros. They're testifying. They're sharing their testimony. They're just saying, here's what I've experienced. Here's what I've seen. I'm just telling you what I know. And John is looking at these different witnesses. And so I want to like kind of take a step back. And, and what are these witnesses John mentions? Because he kind of says them really quickly. And he kind of touches on them. So let's kind of look at these witnesses or these testimonies of defining who Jesus is. All right, so there's five witnesses that you can read this yourself, but I'm not, you know, that John is actually saying. So five witnesses from this text. The first one, we'll throw up the, the testimony of water, the testimony of blood, the testimony of the spirit, the testimony of the father, and the testimony of self, like your testimony. John is saying there are different testimonies and witnesses. John says you even have one about who Jesus is. And so, let's, what are these? What is the water? What is the blood? What is, like, how does that relate? What is he referring to? So let's read again verse 6, all right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 6. We're going to look at the testimony of the water and the blood. Verse 6, he says, one more time, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And is the Spirit, here's the third one, is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. All right. 
we're going to look at the testimony of the water and blood, and why does this matter? And what is he saying? What is he referring to? Let me just say this. There's some really tough texts in the Bible, and this is one of them, so just be patient with me. There are so many different guys on different spectrums that say this is what the water means, this is what the blood means. I have my own opinion. I'll share that with you, and you can kind of disagree, and that's okay. This is an open-handed thing. We can talk. But we know who it's about. It's about Jesus. We know who it's about, but we're trying to figure out what is the what. What is the water? What is the blood? And before I get into that, I, I kind of prayed, like, God, do I even t- touch on this or focus on this? Do I shine light on this? If you guys notice in verse 7, look at verse 7. If you have the New King James Bible, it will be different than every other Bible, all right? Now, this is kind of what my teacher used to say when I was, like, in third grade. She's like, all right, students, put your thinking caps on. I'm going to need you guys, like, follow along with me. I'm going to try to slow down and do my best to explain this, okay? So if you look at verse 7, I'll read it in New King James. It says, there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. If you have a study Bible, maybe there's a note next to it, or maybe there's something next to it that says this was not in the original manuscripts. Let me kind of explain this. I personally look at verse 7 as this is added on years later. But this is not in the original manuscripts. Now, I say if you have the ESV, the NASB, I think they do a good job of explaining this. So, without getting too much in this, but I'm going to shine a little bit of light, we'll throw up the verses to you again in verse, uh, in the ESV. It says, for there are three that testify, that's verse 7. There are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three grieve. NASB, same thing. There are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If, again, the New King James Version is kind of pointing out the Trinity specifically in this. Now, we do believe the Trinity is in the Bible, but when I talk about the Trinity with a non-believer or with a believer, I don't ever quote 1 John 5, 7. That's just me. Jehovah's Witnesses want us to quote 1 John 5, 7, so they can say, ah, oh, it's not an original. So I don't, I don't quote this. It's not a verse I use. I just want you guys to be aware of that. You know, what happened? What, where's the issue? Let me just explain this briefly as best as I can. The New King James Bible uses certain manuscripts to get this Bible today for us. It's based off the Textus Receptus, all right? That's simply known as, like, the majority text. Fun fact, there's over 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible. 25,000, from one verse to chapters to books. There are 25,000 manuscripts of the Bible, ancient writings, right? That's a lot. Out of these 25,000 manuscripts, there's 99% similarity. That's incredible. Let me just point out, that's incredible. Uh, other ancient writings, like let's say the Iliad, uh, there's only 500 ancient manuscripts, and there's 90% similarity. We have 25,000, we have much more, and greater similarity, 99%. I'm bringing this up to you because there are modern-day you know, translations, I think, that do a better job. This is based off what we'd call the Textus Receptus. The ESV, or the NSB, is based off something called the Alexandrian text. We believe Alexandrian text is from Alexandria, and it's an older text. It's older to the time of it being written. And in all those texts, it doesn't have verse 7. This is included around the 16th century uh, by a guy named Erasmus. Now, so they they believe that this was added from pressure from the Catholic Church at this time. There's like little side notes and and people writing into that. So there might have been some pressure for him to add this in. I'll say this. Again, this is not, I don't believe, in the original manuscript, so I'm not going to try to teach as if it is like, let's look at verse 7 more in depth. I think there are other evidences for the Trinity, and we're going to talk about one today. But I don't use this verse. I'm going to go back to the ancient, the older Manuscripts Alexandrian. Make sense? So I'm sharing that with you guys because you might go, why are you skipping over this? This is a good verse. I try not to use this because people are waiting for us to use 1 John 5, 7 and say, oh, it's not in the original. So I try to avoid this. Cool. Moving on. Sweet. Just want to shine some light on that in case you've never heard or are not aware. I thought it's worth us noting. And also going back to the reliability of scriptures and out of the 25,000, a similarity until the 15th century. It's in some Vulgate translations. So I kind of, you avoid that. Cool. Make sense? You're like, no, it doesn't. Okay, it's all right. All right, so we'll, we'll keep going on. So let's, what is the testimony of the water and the blood? The testimony of the water and the blood. Let's look at the first one. The testimony of the water. The testimony of the water. So 
The idea of this water and blood, there are different ideas of this. Some say, oh, how did Jesus come? It says, this is he who came by water and blood. Some say this is speaking of Jesus' birth. This is speaking of Mary who gave birth and, you know, water. There's water, there's blood. This is saying that he came born of a virgin. They say it speaks of Mary. Maybe. I'm going to give, like, different ideas here. Uh, St. Augustine says that the water and blood speaks of the cross, that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they pierced his side, water and blood flowed from his cross. Or flowed from his side, not the cross. Flowed from his side. And so he says the water and blood, the church was birthed through his side. Uh, this is speaking of Jesus being on the cross. You know, maybe, yeah. Um, there's just different ideas. Some say that this is speaking of his baptism and the blood speaking of communion. And, and honestly, I look at them and they go, all of them like, make sense to me. All of them are pretty good. You know, I'm not like against any, like, oh, that one's just wrong. We know who it's about. We know it's about Jesus. This, the question is, what is the water and blood about? So my personal, and you can disagree, and it's okay. This is like one of those healthy things. My personal opinion of the water and blood is this. that The water speaking of Jesus' baptism and the blood speaking of the cross, the crucifixion scene. So let's just talk about that. The water. How, think about this. What is John saying? How does the water speak of Jesus's, uh, of who he is into the person of Jesus, that he's God in the flesh? How does the baptism actually speak into that? I want you to remember that the baptism experience. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, he's baptizing Gentiles, and he's now he starts to baptize actually Jews. People are getting saved left and right. And if you guys know, Gentiles would get baptized. Gentiles, if they want to be a part of like the Jewish history and tradition and really the Jewish faith, they'd have to get baptized by water to kind of enter in. But John's baptizing Jews. Like this isn't this is kind of like unorthodox. Jews are like, why are Jews getting baptized? We're already God's children. We're already God's promised ones. Why are Jews getting baptized? And John's going, I'm baptizing them from their sin. Just like your dirty and water cleans, they need to go in this water and they need to come out a new person walking in this of life. And so John was baptizing even Jews. And that was kind of strange to them. And one day the Pharisees came out and he's like, who warns you of the judgment to come? Who, who warns you to come out here and get baptized? Basically saying everyone here needs to identify that they are a sinner and they need to walk in newness of life. So John's doing this baptism. And if you guys remember the story, John sees Jesus in the distance. And I want you to just keep this in mind. Jesus was not known. Jesus, up until this point, he's 30 years old. He was working with his dad. I mean, he was kind of like not really out. He had no public ministry. He's like, oh, there's Jesus. Like, people didn't know who he was. People were like talking about Jesus. Jesus wasn't the name on everyone's lips at this time. But John sees Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes with the sin of the world, right? And if you guys, a Jewish person would understand that. They'd go, wow. Here is the lamb that would take away the sin. Like here, is, we look to, we, we literally lay our hands on, on sheep's heads, slit their throats, confess our sins over these lambs, and they take our place, they're a substitute. And you're saying this is the lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world? And so John is the one to make straight, John is the one to say Jesus is who we're looking for, Jesus is what we're looking for. And so John sees Jesus, he goes, behold the lamb. And he, the next day he sees Jesus again, he goes, behold the lamb. John was constantly trying to point people to Jesus. Now, if you guys remember what happened next, John does baptize Jesus. John baptized Jesus, just because, not because Jesus needs to be repent of sins as much as he's trying to identify with us as sinners. He's trying to identify with us. So Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. We're told that the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lands upon Jesus, and that there's this voice from heaven. We'll throw up the verse. It's Matthew chapter 3. We'll just throw up the verse for you guys. Verse 16. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I want you to see that at Jesus' baptism, there was the Trinity. At Jesus' baptism, you see the Son of God come out of the water. You see the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, descend upon him. And you see this voice from heaven, from God the Father, saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And when you see at Jesus' baptism, we see the Trinity. It's not some ventriloquist act, like, let me throw my voice over here. Like this, we see God. 
We see God at Jesus' baptism. And I want you to see that John was saying, this is public, you guys. This would have been something that people could go, no, 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 I was there that day. There was no voice from heaven. And what are you talking about, something descending upon him? Like, no, I was there. None of that happened. This was written on all of the Gospels. This is something where people could read this and go, no, 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 I was there. That did not happen. John writes this as a public, this is a big, bold public thing saying, remember Jesus' baptism. Remember the water. Remember how the Spirit came upon him. Remember what God the Father said about him. The first testimony, the first idea of how do we know Jesus is who he says he is, John, the disciple, is saying, look at Jesus' baptism. This separates him from everyone else. This was a public event. People heard the same thing and saw the same thing. And you can ask these people. And so he's trying to say the testimony we have for Jesus is simply his baptism. So the first thing, we have the testimony of water. Next, we're going to look at this, the testimony of blood. It says, not by water only, but by water and blood. Now, I, I personally, again, view this as speaking of the crucifixion scene. You guys remember the night before Jesus was crucified, he's, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's with his disciples. It's so intense. The thought of him being separated from his father, the thought of him taking on the sins of the world, he has, he has such great pressure. It's, he starts to sweat drops of like, like, like blood. There's just such an intense pressure. He's betrayed by Judas. They put a crown of thorns on him, more blood. They abuse him with a cat of nine tails. They whip him 40 times on his back. Cat of nine tails, imagine like a leathery cord with all these strips with glass, broken shards of glass, marble, uh, hooks. They'd beat his flesh to kind of tenderize the flesh in a sense, and the hooks would dig in and rip off his flesh. There's, there's different historians who write about uh, these sort of beatings and say you could see people's organs being exposed and their spine exposed. And just incredible. Most people would die even just from that process alone. And I think they're like, why are you saying this? Because we can say Jesus died for your sins and, and rose again, but sometimes we need to clarify, when Jesus died for your sins, that was an extreme sacrifice he went through. Isaiah 52 verse 14 says this about Jesus, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. He was beaten so, and this is a prophecy about what would happen to the Messiah. He was abused so much that you could hardly tell he's human, Isaiah says. And then obviously this incident happens, and you can imagine the people beating him, crown of thorns placed on him, his, his back just annihilated. This is what Jesus went through. Now, what John is saying this. Here's what he's saying. He goes, remember the blood. Remember the blood that was shed for us. Remember the crucifixion scene. I want you to think about this again. Because in the Gospels, this would be public knowledge. This would be public. Anyone could read this and argue with it or say, no, this is not true. But remember what happened at Jesus? Like, remember that whole scenario, the whole scene what happened? Jesus is hanging on the cross. He says, you know, uh, Father, it is finished. We're told that when he breathes his last breath, we're told in Matthew 27, we can throw the verse up here. In Matthew 27, it says the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. When Jesus died, this veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Again, this is public knowledge. People could say, no, the veil is still there, or they would actually know, like, the veil is rent, the veil is torn. And, and I want to point this out. I want you to think about this idea of the veil, and maybe you've heard this, but it's still just so powerful. It's still worth knowing. The, the veil in the temple is what separated, really, the, the holy place where the priests would do their ministry, their duties, and the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would be, where God's presence would be. That veil separated people from the presence of God. That veil, only one man one day a year could enter behind that veil. Only one man one day, only the high priest on the day of atonement could walk behind that veil. Only one person had access to God. And he would die if he wasn't holy or purified. I want you to see what Jesus, Jesus died, and that veil's rent. That veil's torn apart. As God is saying, hey, my son paid it all. It's finished. You have access to me. You don't need to go to a priest. You can go to my son. 
And I love, I love this because Hebrews 10 actually comments on this. And this is one of my favorite correlations in the New Testament. In Hebrews 10, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us, listen, through the veil that is his flesh. See, listen, the, the veil was a picture of Jesus' flesh. Because Jesus' fle- flesh was torn apart, because Jesus' flesh was rent, that really means we have access to God. The, the temple veil was really a picture of what was happening to Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, I now have access to God. His flesh was really a picture of that veil. The veil was torn in two from top to bottom, it says. Why top to bottom? As if God were the one doing it. As if God is saying, hey, there's access to come into me. And then there, Hebrews is saying, really, the veil was a picture of his flesh. Because his flesh was torn apart, we now have access to God. You see, John is saying this. You want to know who Jesus is? Remember the cross. This is something people could look back to. This is something people could recognize. Yeah, the veil was torn in half that day. Rocks were split. There was a great earthquake the day Jesus died. That was just public knowledge. And then he's pointing back saying there must be something about this. Remember in Matthew 27, there's the centurion, the soldier who's a part of this, who's a part of the process of crucifying Jesus. He sees this in Matthew 27, 51 or 54. He says, he says, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. John is saying, remember this. If you want to know who Jesus is, remember the centurion's own quote about Jesus. Remember the fact that even this soldier who's a part of this process of murdering our Savior says, truly this was the Son of God. He goes, this is the testimony that we have for Jesus. Consider the veil being rent. Consider the, the blood that was shed. And why was the blood shed? Why did there need to be shed blood? When he says these are, these are testimonies, water and blood, again, why is this blood a testimony? And, I, and I'm not trying to overwhelm you with verses right now. I just want you to hear this. In Leviticus 17, verse 11, why does the blood matter? Why does the blood matter? For the, fl- I, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. You guys hear that? It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Why does it matter? How does the blood speak? The blood makes atonement for the soul. Because animals' blood was shed on our behalf, we could be right with God. Because Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, blood was shed, we could be right with God. The blood makes atonement for the soul. So Jonathan, here's why that matters. Because the blood was shed. We have access to God. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that, was, that brought us peace. And his, by his wounds, with his wounds, we are healed. John says, because he was bruised, because he was chastised, because he took our beating, we are healed. You see, why the blood? Why does the blood a testimony of Jesus? Because think of the cross. Think of what that meant. Think about the Lamb of God who was slain that day so we could be right with God. The rocks split open. The veil was torn apart. The centurions are saying this was the Son of God. What have we done? John is saying this is the testimony we have of Jesus. We have his, we have his baptism, and we have the, the crucifixion. And that is a beautiful testimony that we have. All right? Amen? So we have the water and the blood. Now, now what else do we have? It says we have the Spirit. We have the Spirit. The third testimony is the testimony of the Spirit. Look again at the end of verse 6. He says, it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. Verse 7, we'll read it in the uh, ESV again. It says it this way. For these three, for these are the three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. So you have the spirit, the water, and the blood. These are the testimonies we have now. He says the spirit is truth. Now how does that relate? How does it speak to us? When Jesus was baptized in the water, remember this, the spirit of God came upon him, and that's when Jesus' ministry began. Let me just say this and be really clear. Jesus did his ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God who entered the, the world as a human, as a sinless human, 
According to Philippians 2, though, Jesus laid aside, it says, his divine attributes. So Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, to do life from. Jesus healed people not because he was divine, but because he had the Holy Spirit in him. Yes, he was divine, but he healed people through the Holy Spirit. My, my point is, if you want to live like Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. If you and I want to live the power, the life that Jesus lived, there's no way we can live the life Jesus lived without the power of the Spirit. We're going to need that, just like Jesus needed the power of the Spirit. And I want you to see that the Spirit, he was, the Spirit is true. The Spirit speaks of Jesus. Also, let's just put this in other, in other terms. Uh, Ephesians 6 says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. Which is, let me say this. God's Word is living and powerful. There's something about this book. And I think for whether, you're, again, you've been a Christian for a long time or a little bit of time, when you first started reading the Bible, there's something where you're reading, you're going, my heart just, I can't, this is true. Like, I remember when I started, like, diving into the world, I was, like, 17 years old, I just could not stop. I'd be reading from, like, 10 at night to 2 a.m. I'm just reading and reading and reading, and everything I was reading, like, this, why have, I've heard this, but I've never believed this. Like, I've heard parts of this, but I've never seen it for myself, and I just, I couldn't get enough. And it's like, you're just reading and reading and taking, and maybe you've had the experience where you just read the word and you go, God, this is truth. And that is the Spirit of God speaking to you, saying, hey, what you're reading right now is true. You know, sometimes I forget this. The best tool we have in evangelism might just be the Bible, right? Like, sometimes I don't need to, like, have some clever, creative, like, crafty word. What if we could just say, hey, here's the Bible. Why don't you just read about Jesus yourself? Why don't you just read Romans yourself? You know that people, you guys know that people can get saved from reading the Bible? You know that? People can, isn't that, like, crazy, like, revolutionary? People can get saved simply from opening this book and going, oh, my gosh, I believe this. They're saved. Like, I can give some of the book of Romans and say, hey, just read Romans. And they can read it and go, oh, my gosh, I'm a filthy sinner and I need God. Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, you are. Like, I know that. I try to say that a million times in different ways, but you need it. Like, there's something sometimes about the living word, about saying, you read it yourself. Just you read it. You get alone. You read it. You take notes. We have the testimony of the Spirit. Romans 8, 16 says this, for God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We have this testimony of the Spirit. How can you know you're saved? This was a monumental, monumental verse for me. I had, to, I had to really, like, meditate on. When I was like 18 and going, God, can I know I'm saved? How can I know I'm saved? Is that arrogant to think I'm saved? And there's this verse where God's like, my spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you're my son. Have you had that? Has God affirmed and confirmed this idea that you're his son or you're his daughter? Like, I can't tell you, like, yes, no. I can say, listen, there's something beautiful about you spending time alone with God and going, God, search me, know me. God, I want you to examine me, God. And God's like, you're my son. You're my daughter. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're sons and daughters of God. That's a beautiful thing. And that's something all, I think God wants us to discover that yourself. Like, it's not like, hey, let me just say two plus two is four and you can do this. And like, I think God wants us to like, just lovingly find that in him. It's a beautiful thing. This idea of water, blood, and the spirit, he goes, these are the three. These are the three that are tied together. We should preach Jesus' his baptism, his crucifixion, and his, the spirit takes that and goes, this is a testimony of who Jesus is. You know, Spurgeon has this quote about this idea of the three, and I thought it was good. He writes, a priest was always ordained by sacrificial blood, cleansing water, and the oil that spoke of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus also had these three witnesses to his priestly ministry. Every priest would have blood that was applied to the right thumb, right earlobe, right toe. They'd be baptized in water, and they'd also have oil applied to the right thumb, right ear, right toe. The idea was blood, water uh, was used to just say, hey, you're set apart now for me, that you are mine, that you're my work. And same too with us. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus, we were crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And with the Spirit of God living and dwelling in us, we have the three same testimony. We'll keep moving. Uh, verse 9, what is the fourth testimony? It's the testimony of the Father. This is good. The testimony of the Father. Look at verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, 
the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his son. All right, in any good movie, in any good, like, Law and Order TV show, if you ever watch, like, the trial, the court case, you usually kind of at the end have, like, a star witness. And, like, oh, my gosh, like, the person walks in the scene, like, okay, case closed. Like, as soon as they walk in, there's almost, like, a hush, right, like, in the, in the courtroom. This is what John is saying. Hey, God is that person's going to bring the hush in the courtroom. If you believe the witness of men on a lot of different things, the witness of God is greater. He's saying our Father is the final authority, really, ultimately. The witness of God is greater than the witness of men. And again, think about that. We so often believe in the witness of men. Like, you tr- we trust men so much in everyday life. Like, we're probably going to go to dinner after this. And we go to dinner, I'm trusting the chef to just really take care of my food and not do anything weird to it, right? Like, I'm trusting when I get on an airplane that the pilot didn't have a fight with his wife and he's not going to try to crash the plane. Like, I think about those weird things. But I'm trusting people all the time. Like, all the time I'm exercising. I'm trusting the doctor to write me the right prescription. I'm trusting the pharmacist to fill it with the right medicine, right? Like, we, I don't even check those things. and That could kill me. Like, we trust the witness of men so much. And John is saying, you trust the witness of men all the time. Don't say you don't live by faith. Everyone lives by faith. Everyone's placing their faith in someone or something or some moment or some circumstance. You live by faith. You don't check everything. We don't know if this is designed well and this is going to cave in right now. Like, he's like, we trust the witness of men so often. He goes, but the witness of God is greater. And what does the father say about his son? You know, one of my favorite stories, because I feel like this would be me, maybe it'd be you. It's Matthew 17. Jesus with Peter, James, and John. He's on this mountain, and maybe you remember, it's the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where Jesus is literally glorified. And, and I want you to think about this. Peter, James, and John saw Jesus as if they would see him when he comes back and rules and reigns as king. Like, they had this amazing moment with, with Jesus. And, like, Peter, like, wakes up from a nap, because that's what he's always doing. He wakes up from a nap. He's like, oh, my, and there's Jesus glorified, glorified Jesus. And then you have Moses and you have Elijah. And Peter's like, this is wonderful, Jesus. We should, be th- we should build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And I love Matthew 17, verse 5. God speaks. It says, while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Like, shut up, Pete. Like, I love this. It's like a great way. But, like, Peter's like, oh, we should build while he's still speaking. While he's still speaking, God's like, hey, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not Peter. <laughs> Please don't listen to Peter. Like, I love, but we have, the, we have the testimony of God. Literally, God speaks in front of the three disciples. This is, this is past. And again, this was something that they could ask. Did this really happen? How did this happen? We have the witness of God saying, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Hear him. Listen to him. Again, we trust the witness of men so often. What if we trusted the witness of God? What God said about his son, that this is his son, that his son pleases him, that this is his son who will take away the sins of the world. We have all these different testimonies, all these different people we listen to all the time, and yet we have the witness of God. We'll keep going with that, but I just love that story. We have the testimony of self. All right, the testimony of self. All of us here, hopefully, and if not, maybe one day, you'll have a testimony yourself of Jesus. You'll be able to explain yourself about Jesus. Look at verse 10. It says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Let's just start with verse 10. He says, you have this testimony in yourself. You guys know about Jesus. He's writing this book saying, hey, you might have the testimony of water and blood and the Spirit of God, but you have it in yourself. Like, you have your own story with Jesus. 
everyone here has their own story with Jesus. Jesus looked at the disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're this. Some say you're this. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, well, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Rightly so, Peter. Like, all of us have to answer that question. All of us have to answer that question. Everyone, everyone, whether, whatever faith, everyone has to answer the question is, who is Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? You can't say he's one of the, another, another religious prophet, another religious figure of some sort. You could say he seems to be a good teacher, has a lot of good rules. I like to live by the golden rule. Like, I have a, a lot of things that Jesus says I live by. But he's not a teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's literally God in the flesh who came to save us, that we could exercise our faith in him, and because he died, we can live. Like, we have to define, you are the son of, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, who do you say Jesus is? How do you answer that question? How do I answer that question? How does our lifestyle answer that question? How do I not just say one thing about Jesus in my lifestyle, I'll say something different? Who do you, how do you answer this question in more ways than just communicating? How do we answer this question? Listen, we all have the testimony in ourselves. There is something wonderful. Like, there is, I'm the kind of person where if someone's trying to make an argument for, for God, we should use as best we can objective arguments. There's nothing wrong with using philosophical, I think we should. We should go, oh, okay, like, well, there, if there's a creation, there must be, like, it's fine. Use those arguments. But there's also, we got to get to the point of, like, well, I've tasted and seen. I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. I, I can tell you firsthand I've experienced Jesus, that Jesus has been so good to me and done so much more than I've ever dreamed of or deserved. There, there should be something in our life where we can talk about Jesus firsthand like we would our friend or a spouse or whoever it might be. Like, there has to be that testimony within ourselves. That is a beautiful thing. So do you have that testimony? Do you have your story with Jesus? What is your story? If someone says, what's your story? What's your story? If someone says, tell me about Jesus and how he's impacted your life, tell me why you believe in Jesus. How do you answer that question? Why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe in Jesus? How would you answer that? Here's why I believe in Jesus. And how does it make sense? And how does it flow? And how does it be sincere and from the heart, but also be, like, how does it engage the whole person? We should have this testimony within ourselves. And I love this verse 11, because verse 11 is actually really cool. He says, this is the testimony. Look at verse 11 again. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. This is the testimony. Can I say this? God has given us eternal life. Christianity does not just begin when you die. Can we agree with that? Like, sometimes we look at, like, we'll explain the gospel. Like, what if you believe in Jesus, you die, and you go to heaven? Like, we got to be careful. Like, Christianity is not just for dead people, okay? <laughs> like, that's great. Yes, but Christianity, like, eternal life is now. Like, I think God wants to give us eternal life now. That whom the son ha- who has the Son has life. That we have life now. Like, I think sometimes we can preach the... I remember thinking as a little kid, like, well, I'll just believe my deathbed. You know, I'm like, if that's the case, if I just need Jesus to get into heaven, I'll just believe my deathbed. That is not the point. Heaven is beautiful. Heaven is wonderful. But we should not just crave heaven. We should crave Jesus way more than that. I think sometimes we kind of go, I just want to make sure I'm in heaven. It's like, but do you just want Jesus? Like, that you might have eternal life now. And again, eternal life is not just about a quantity of life. You understand that? The way it's even written in the Greek is not a quantity, it's a quality of life. It is literally written in a way that says, do you have eternal, the substance, this light, like life. Not just you're like alive and breathing, but you have life. You're thriving. You enjoy the fullness of God, the fullness of life, what God has created. Like, you can experience things, yes. We, everyone can experience joy and beauty to some element, but you can experience it so much more when you know the author behind all those things. Do you have eternal life now? And that's the thing I, I, I wish that Christianity could be imparted more. It's not like you just get eternal life when you die. Like you have eternal life now. You have eternal life right now. That God has given us eternal life in his son. And John is like trying to prove that. John is trying to say, if you have the son, you have life. That if you believe in him, you have life. Not you will one day have life. Let that just sink into our hearts. This is not just for us when we die. Okay, Christianity begins today. <laughs> this life this spirit-filled life, this life where we can actually overcome sin and experience the goodness of God like this should begin today. 
should be, it should have began when we first believed on Jesus. And I love what verse 12 does. Verse 12 is what you call clarity. There's some things in the Bible that it's hard for us. We go, well, some people say it's this. Some people, like, I just said that. Sometimes there are things that are hard in the Bible. Verse 12 is really clear. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. Just really clear. If you have Jesus, you will live forever. If you don't have Jesus, you will live forever somewhere else away from Jesus. The Bible's trying to be really clear. But it won't be an enjoyable life. It won't be that eternal life. He who has a son has life. And I want to point this out really quick, guys. There's a bonus witness in this text, right? This bonus witness is John. <laughs> the bonus witness in the text is John writing the text. Like, think about this. John is this guy going, I walked with Jesus. I ate with Jesus. I did three years of life with Jesus. Uh, John was the only one, besides women, the only male disciple who was at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Jesus looked at John and said, John, behold your mother to his mother Mary, and Mary, behold your son. John was trusted with Jesus' mother. John had this crazy, unique relationship with Jesus, and he's the one writing this, saying, I've seen the baptism. I've seen communion. I've seen the cross. I've seen the resurrection. I've seen the ascension. I saw my brother die for this truth, James. I saw my brother die for this truth. I saw all the other disciples die for this truth. I've seen many more people die for this. John is saying, you have this testimony yourself. John does. I want you to think like John is an old man writing this or looking at a group of people. Imagine he's going, oh, if you only knew. If you only knew that everything we told you about Jesus really is true, I've seen it firsthand. I've tasted and seen the Lord is good. I saw him, I literally saw him ascend into heaven. John was there for that. John had a powerful testimony himself. And I want you to see what John says in verse 13, because John says this, these things I have written to you. Why? Why did he write this book? I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John's like, I'm writing this because I want you to be confident. Guys, you can know you have eternal life. I'm writing to you who believe. And this is, again, we talked about belief. It, it is so much more than I believe George Washington lived a long time ago. And it's like, no, I, I put my trust in, I put my faith in, I will bet my life on this truth. I believe in the name of the Son of God. And he says, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, I'm writing to you, and you can know you have eternal life. People might say, Josiah, or might say to you, hey, do you know that you're saved? Know that you can say this, yes, I know that I'm saved. And they go, well, that's arrogant. That, that shows that you have so much confidence in yourself, and it's the exact opposite. You can say, you say, no, it shows I don't have confidence in myself. I actually have my confidence in someone else. That's why I can say to you, I know I'm saved. If I, if I said I didn't know I'm saved, it's going to put my confidence in me, because my salvation would be based on if I'm good today or I'm a bad tomorrow. Like, I can say I know I'm saved because I'm putting my confidence in Jesus, the one who paid it all. We can know we have eternal life. We can rest in that truth. Like, that was so freeing for me when I realized I can know, I can know, and I do know. Not just I can, but I do know I have eternal life. I do know that if I die, I will live with Jesus. Not because of something I've done, not because of something I, I personally, it's because of what Christ has done for me, my, my trust and rest in that. That though I die, I shall live. Because of what he did for me. It's not confidence in me by any means. It's the exact opposite. It's confidence in the Son of God. You can know you have eternal life. Do you know that? Do you live that? Do you walk that? You know, again, there's, there's kind of within churches sometimes, there's like this fear-based approach to try to produce righteousness and good works. There's a fear-based approach like, well, what if you, if you do this? Then God might do this. And there's a fear-based approach. You know, imagine my son. I'm going off to like a trip or I'm going to leave for a few days or I'm going to leave the house. I go, hey, buddy. I'm like, Mike, come here. I love you so much. and I'm going to be home soon. Or maybe I won't be home soon. It just kind of depends if you're good. If you're good, I'll be home. If you're not good, I won't be home. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm actually going to another family. Maybe you're not my son. Hey, just as long as you're good, you'll know when I come back. If I come back, then you can, like, how, like, that would just terrorize the kid. Like, okay, when I get back, if you're good, then you can know I'm really your dad. Like, what? Like, that would just screw him up. He's like, I guess I'll be good. You know, it'd be such a terrifying thing. 
And I, I want you guys to know that our God is not like trying to screw with us. He's trying to get so simple. He's, trying to get, he's like, you're my son. You're my daughter. Whom the son sets free is free indeed. I'm writing this so you can know you have eternal life. I mean, John wrote the Gospel of John. It's the same, the same truth I see here I see in the Gospel of John. I don't know if you pick up on that. In John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, he quotes Jesus saying, like, I am the good shepherd and, and all of you are in my hand and I am my Father's hand. Like, no one's going to snatch you out of my hand. I'm, snatching the, like, I'm in the Father's hand. He's trying to be overly clear that we are with Jesus and no one can take us out. That, that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The question is, has you, have you really been set free? Have you really believed in Jesus? And even this truth, I, I was reading something by this pastor from back in the day. He pointed this out, and I thought it was so good. He says, I write this, let me get in verse 13. I've written to those who believe, who believe currently. It's not, I've written those things to you who believed. You know, sometimes people in the church can go, what was the day you got saved? And some, for some of you, it's really hard to remember the day you got saved. It might be really hard to remember the day you, I can't remember the day. The question is, but just do you believe today? Like, do you believe today? Because, you know, I could ask someone who's much older and go, hey, when was your wedding day? And it's like, I don't know. I'm blanking right now. Well, you're not really married because you remember the day. It's like, no, like, if you're married, you're, like, you're married. It doesn't matter if you forgot the date. The, the point, John is, John is saying, I'm writing to those who believe. Who believe? Do you believe? Like, do you believe? Not, th- I'm writing to those who believed. I'm writing to you who believe. Do you currently believe? Are you, there's, some, there's something about Christianity where I constantly have to exercise faith in Christ. And not for my salvation. Not, like, to keep my salvation. Again, I've been justified. I've been declared righteous by what Christ has done. But there's something about simply going, I'm going to believe you today. I'm going to believe you tomorrow. I'm going to believe you the next day. I'm not just going to believe you one day, 20 years. I'm going to believe in you today. I'm going to trust you today. I'm writing to those who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you can know you have eternal life. You can know that. Be at peace. Be at rest. Know that, again, and if you still don't know, well, how can I know, Josiah? Go back and listen to the messages. Like, we went through this so often. Go back and read about John saying, hear who Jesus is, let's define him. Do you believe in him, and does your life now display love and good works, and do you walk in righteousness? You will sin, and you'll make mistakes, and you have an advocate with the Father. Like, the whole point of 1 John has been trying to show you and I that you can know you're saved. And it can also try to point out, hey, maybe for some of you, this has been a game. Maybe for some of you, you think you're saved, but you really haven't believed on the person. You don't trust in Jesus, you just believe conceptually about Jesus. For some of us, we still need to exercise faith in Jesus. And not just go, I believe what the Bible says, like theoretically, but do you give your life to that? Do you trust in that? Do you say that, God, if you give, blessed be your name. If you take away, blessed be your name. I have you, I have everything. Like that is belief. That is saying, I will believe in you regardless of good or bad. I believe, I trust in you, I rest in you. It's so much more than signing, like taking a test and saying, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, check. I pass the test, therefore I'm going to heaven. John is saying, though, there must be love. There must be a genuine love that can only be birthed from God. And we love God because he first loved us. And you kind of embrace it and you go, yes, I understand. And those light bulbs started going off for the last few weeks, hopefully. And you go, oh my gosh, I see it. I see it. I'm set free because of what Christ has done for me. And he loved me first. He pursued me first. I'm just embracing that love that God has for me. And it's been such a freeing, I hope for you this has been a freeing thing. Amen? I've loved this book. I've loved going through this with you. We have one more week, and next week's weird text, too. So pray for that. Read that over. You're like, what is that saying? It's sin leading to death. Okay, we'll talk about that. Um, but listen, let me just share a quick thing with you guys before you go, before you go, before we end. I want to give everyone just a quick little update on what's happening in the next like, six or seven weeks, all right? We'll put this up here just so you guys can be aware. Um, next week, we'll be here at 5 p.m. finishing First John. December 10th, we'll hopefully, and I will let you guys know next week, but, and we'll post about it just in case, you know, we don't have like a bulletin, so you can look at our social media. Uh, but we'll hopefully be in Quietwaters Elementary on December 10th. What, I, what I've been praying over and I want to share with you guys, if you look to the very bottom, it says January 21st launch day, and some of you are still like, and I, I get it. Like, what does that even mean? Like, here, here's the idea. Um, 
we want to start the Gospel of Mark in January. Uh, we want to talk about the idea of mission. We, we want to look at Jesus on mission. Jesus came to serve, not be served. We just want to talk about Jesus. Um, we're trying to actually build up our kids' team where people who come to church for the first time and go, oh, my kids are safe. You know, our kids' leaders are fingerprinted, just so you guys know. And, like, we're trying to, like, get some things more organized. So when we can promote to the community, like, hey, come on out, that we have some things in order. And so that's why we're kind of trying to take these few weeks and saying, hey, do you want to serve on the setup team? We could use help. Do you want to serve with kids? We could use help. Do you want to serve with AV or worship? We could use help. We're trying to like kind of make those things known and build over the next few weeks for the 21st. So I do want to point this out. I'm actually really excited about this. Um, if you've ever looked at anything or looked at our website, here's kind of things we'll always champion. We're all about Jesus. We're all about his word. We're all about community. And we're all about mission. That's what we want to fight for. Even when we miss that, even when we blow it and we're far from that, that's like our aim right? Like, we want to be led by those things. We're about Jesus, making him known. We're about his word, because that's, that's, again, that's the spirit of God is speaking to us. We're about community, like, actually knowing each other, not just a shallow surface, and then mission. Like, people should get saved. Like, if we're healthy, we will pr- reproduce healthy disciples, and so we want people to get saved. Um, so, we're going to actually take December 10th and 17th to do the first two values. The third and the 14th, we'll do the third and fourth value, and then we're going to have a Christmas Eve service and a New Year's Eve service. So, couple things I want to share with you guys, not that this matters to you or whatever, but two years ago, um, we kind of were praying a lot over this, my wife and I, just privately before we made it public, and we wrote down the date, January 21st, 2018. And probably about like eight or nine months ago, we moved up to January 7th, because we're like, well, let's just start off the new year, like with that, like that'd be fun to start off the new year. I kind of feel like just with the holidays and wanting to kind of, even just like kind of get the values within our hearts, we're like, you know what, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, maybe we went a little too soon, we're going to go to the 21st. We're going to spend time talking about the values. Uh, We're going to spend time really focusing on mission the next few weeks. And we want to reach the lost people for the name of Jesus. So uh, in case you care, so you know, the 21st is when we'll start Mark and probably do more of like a celebration in a sense. And hey, community, we're here. We want to be here for the long run. We talked to Quiet Waters Elementary saying we we hope we're here for like several years with you guys. Uh, We hope we can make an impact in the school and for the teachers and students. And so that's our heart. Um, We're going to try to spend some time on the values and have the Christmas Eve service, New Year's service. Uh, New Year's service, and then the 21st be that, like, quote-unquote launch day. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but just wanted you guys to know that's kind of what we're aiming at. And again, I know you guys are here. You're with us. You're part of us, so thank you. Um, we literally cannot do or can't do what we're doing right now without some of you guys, without all of you guys. Um, even moving forward, you know, there's still things we know that God's just going to do this. Um, we're going to do a prayer meeting sometime in December at our house. I'll let you know. I'll make that known. Like, anyone can come to that. We just want to cover this in prayer. Um, we don't want to do this in our own strength and our own wisdom because that will just fall apart. Uh, we know if the Lord builds the house, then we don't labor in vain. So we want the Lord to do this. So we're going to try to cover this in prayer. We're going to ask you this. Hey, as we enter into the month of December, will you just cover this in prayer? Um, that God would guide our thoughts. That God would guide us to the right people. That we wouldn't spend money foolishly. That we'd be good stewards. Uh, that we'd reach people and love people well in the name of Jesus. Just pray for all this. And, and that would be you too. Like That you would be able to kind of catch that heartbeat of the gospel and want to be a part of this with us. So we just ask that you just cover this in prayer. Um, we just want this to be for Jesus' leading, and we're just following his lead in this process. Amen? Uh, let me just pray for you guys. And how we do this, let's just spend some time worshiping. Let's just spend some time singing to our God and our King. Uh, let this not be a message you hear and go, ah, okay, that's okay today, that's all right. Like, let's just actually let this sink in and go, Jesus, you're so good. Thank you that I can know I have eternal life. We're just going to take a minute to just worship the Lord. So let's pray. And then uh, we'll have you guys stand. So, Father, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for this promise that we can have and know that we have eternal life. And we thank you, God, for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that just the whole world 
can know who your son is, that the, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And Lord, we want all men to hear and believe, and so give us your, your word, give us your spirit. Lord, help us not do this in our, own, in our own strength or flesh. We just ask for you to lead and to move. God, even now as we just slow down, I ask that we could just bring our attention back to you. That God, you'd be the one leading us. We thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you so much for your grace. We're just here to say thank you now in your wonderful name, Jesus. If you guys would just stand, let's worship. And I, don't even, I even want to just encourage you really quick that as we worship, um, if you would just cover some aspect of this in prayer, we'd really appreciate that. So sp- spend a minute praying, and then we'll just worship our God.